Hey, it's Jay, and I wanted to talk to you quickly about something that has remained behind the scenes for quite a while, and I'm trying to get better at talking about it, which is the fact that I offer one-to-one -one coaching for creative people. So if you like this show, if you like my approach or my thinking, my, my creative abilities, you can hire me to become your coach, whether it's one useful hour, asynchronous Voxer access to me for 60 days, Voxer's voice memos, or more in-depth and dedicated coaching and collaboration. I work with high-integrity and quality-obsessed creators to create remarkable podcasts and keynote speeches. I love what I do, and yet I don't really talk about it publicly that much. So you might be thinking, what does Jay do to earn a living? Like, I think he does some of this stuff and money happens. No, I serve other creators. I say the phrase, make what matters on this show, while I help clients make what matters. I do that through the membership Creator Kitchen, but also through my one-to-one -one coaching. And I'm just bad at talking about it, and I'm trying to get better at that. I've worked with people like Jenny Blake, who is the host of two award-winning podcasts with more than 2 million downloads, and she's a globally touring keynote speaker. I've worked with Shane Snow, who has bylines in The New Yorker and GQ. He's an award-winning journalist and a multiple-time founder. He has three best-selling books. I've worked with people like Mia Qualiarello, who works for Flipboard as their head of the creator community they're building there and previously worked for Apple and YouTube and Viacom. She's a veteran creator and she was just getting started with her newsletter, with her podcast, with her on-mic abilities. And so we work together twice, actually. So if you appreciate what I do here or elsewhere, if you want to make a podcast that could only come from you or you want to deliver a speech that resonates deeply and says what matters in your heart, in your soul, to your audience, I'd love to help you get there through my one-to-one -one coaching. You can go to jayaconzo.com and click the link, coaching, at the very top, or check your show notes for a link. Hey, it's Jay, and it's time for another one-shot, the short-form monologue episodes that we run as a complement to our longer-form narrative stories. Today's one-shot is called Beware This Storytelling Advice. I slammed my hand down on the hotel bar. The white marble was cool, which was really nice since I was starting to get pretty hot. A list of steps is not helpful if you're facing the wrong way. I've been talking to a couple fellow marketers and speakers at an event, and we were joking about the industry's obsession with quote-unquote practical steps. And mostly we were criticizing how whenever the word practical comes up, like when speakers are asked to be practical, it's just implied that a list of steps will follow. It's like to marketers, the lone type of practical information is stepular. Please note here that stepular is not a word, but maybe should be. Anyways, my friends and I agreed. There are tons of other ways to impart practical advice. After all, anything practical affects your practice. That's why it's practical. Aren't words fun? Practical does not mean I can follow this without turning on my brain. For example, big ideas that shift our perspectives help us take any step better. Those big ideas are very practical. Feeling inspired or confident when we go to work affects our practice in profound ways, too. Inspiration and confidence boosters are very practical. Knowing why things work is even more powerful than knowing a list of what works, kind of like knowing how to navigate with a compass 
is more powerful than knowing how to follow directions that somebody drew for you on a map. Knowing why things work is very, very practical. You get it. I'm passionate about this. And so, motivated by 16 years in marketing and a generous pour of bourbon from the hotel bartender, I smacked my hand on that cold marble and delivered my hot take. A list of steps isn't helpful if you're facing the wrong way. Smack, swig, smile. Hey, I know a good line when I say it. A list of steps isn't helpful if you're facing the wrong way. If you're on the wrong path, you don't need next steps. You need a pivot, maybe even a three-quarter pirouette. But you definitely don't need to move forward at first. If you aren't saying anything of value in what you write or say, then where you say it, the channel, is irrelevant. If you have the wrong strategy or no strategy at all, the tactics don't yet matter. Should you launch a podcast or a newsletter? I don't know, but I'm pretty sure carpenters don't sit around saying, should I use a hammer or do screws work? But that's kind of how we talk today. Should I use this app? Does that approach work? It's too abstract, too decoupled, too disconnected from the real question you should ask, what am I trying to build? If success were about finding and following the right steps, success would be a cinch. But that's not reality. As a result, more often than we realize, we don't need more stepful prescriptions. Please note here that stepful is not a word, but maybe it should be. We don't need more stepful prescriptions. Instead, we need more thoughtful approaches. We need the posture, the confidence, the clarity, the vision. We need better ideas, smarter strategies, and a whole heck of a lot more curiosity. We need to face the right way. This brings me to the idea of story and how it's typically taught and understood. Typically, we end up facing the wrong way as creators and marketers today. We start marching down a path that isn't actually where we want to go. I'd sum up this issue like this. Most advice about storytelling would have us understand story, when really, we need to understand how to be storytellers. You've heard me say this before if you listen to the show. Those two things aren't the same. And our divergence from the real goal of being storytellers begins with three common misconceptions. Or if you're a fan of me beating a metaphor to death, and oh man, am I ever a fan of that, then here's what I'd say. This is the stuff that causes us to face the wrong direction and head down the wrong paths. Misconception number one, stories are special. Very commonly, the way story is taught or positioned causes us to place it up on a pedestal, like some supernatural power that we can deploy to have more impact or see greater results. And look, I get it. I feel a total reverence for incredible stories and refreshing creativity. I can stare towards the horizon and fill my lungs with the sweet, sweet air of possibility. Stories really can be special. But then, you know, most of them are not. Most of them should just be regular old communication. But if we see them as special, then inevitably, we start to use them only on special occasions. The monthly all-hands meeting, the company homepage, the often promoted case study, the new podcast trailer, the big important essay, the opening moments of a keynote speech. And that's the problem. This is not how to become a storyteller. This is how to occasionally tell a story. Stories are not for special occasions. Stories are just for 
occasions. Everywhere, all the time, tell stories. You'll serve others better, and so will be better served. When you start to face the path labeled stories are special, remember to face a different way. Let's label that path story everywhere. Misconception number two, stories are abstract. Something that is abstract is something that is considered separate from you or the things you already know or consider to be tangible. That's how we view this notion of story too. I get asked all the time on interviews, he writes, understanding just how cringy and self-aggrandizing that probably sounded. Anyways, the question I sometimes get, so Jay, what are the benefits of story? Why should we rely on story? Who should rely on story? And how do we measure story? What, um, what the actual hell are we talking about with those questions? To me, that's like asking, what are the benefits of emotions? Should we use emotions? Yes, that's just how we communicate. I can't tell you that when you add story into the equation, your X metrics go up by Y result. This is not a real question to ask. I don't understand what we're talking about. But as marketers view emotions as only these extreme things, marketers view story as these abstract things. It's all very much out there. Emotions, story, trumpets blare, drums beat, analytics go up and to the right. The definition of abstract, existing in thought or as an idea, but not having a physical or concrete existence. So the solution to this misconception is to prioritize existence. Let's make this more concrete, shall we? You experienced some stuff. Describe it. You felt some things while experiencing some stuff. Describe that too. You have an idea, you ship the idea. It's concrete now. It exists. Prioritize existence. Forget the abstractions. The reason we don't do this more often is simple. The internet. Ever heard of it? It's both a gift and a curse to our creative causes. Let me explain. Creative people understand the work in two phases across their lives, before and after we see the code of the matrix. In other words, our first attempts before we see the code of the matrix are driven by gut feel. We only really sense the whole that we're trying to achieve. It's only later that we start to notice the tiny parts, pieces, techniques, and frameworks that make up the whole, which then unleashes a whole new level of creativity as we're in greater control of the craft. It's like Neo from the Matrix movie, before and after he sees the code. When he does see it, he becomes a superhero, doing things that others only wish they could do. The internet has put much more of the code of the creative matrix on full display. We can instantly access knowledge about the tiny parts and pieces, the techniques, the frameworks, immediately, everywhere, and for free. That level of access is great. Also, that level of access is intimidating. Because we can see or hear lots of very impressive sounding people talk all about these impressive sounding techniques and heuristics and philosophies and ups and downs of their work, we often get lost in that. And sometimes it feels productive to consume that stuff. Meanwhile, we haven't produced anything. Other times it doesn't feel productive. It feels horrifying. We think we have to understand story structure and open loops and hooks and all these parts and pieces of the code to become a more worthy storyteller. Poppycock. That way of thinking is cock of the poppy. By the way, don't be offended. Poppycock is from the Dutch word papakak, P-A-P-P-E-K-A-K. 
papakak. It means soft dung. Oh, and speaking of people who poop a lot, imagine if we were kids and we tried to learn to speak like we as professionals try to learn storytelling. Imagine if we were told we had to understand how to spell every word we'd say, plus the grammatical rules, plus the origins of the words, plus how to write them in straight lines and beautiful scripts, all before we could speak them out loud. We would never utter a word. But what do we actually do as kids? We just start speaking. We hear words, and then we mimic them. You've heard stories, so just start telling them. If and when you get stuck, no problem. You can find a key to that door really easily to unlock it, thanks to all that easily accessible information on the internet. But you don't need to start there, or even use it at all, to elevate your work, unless you absolutely need it. You can simply start creating, learn, and keep going. All that advice out there should serve you. But way too often, it feels like we're trying to serve it. We're trying to commit to it, to learn it all, before we actually start. Don't try to find clarity to justify creating. Create to find clarity. It's in the practice itself that we find our confidence, our personal techniques, our, our unique styles, and more. It's in the practice that we find ourselves. In waiting to practice until we learn the abstractions, we just end up removing ourselves. We arrive too full of everyone else's ideas for what we should create, rather than listening to intuition. If you want to feel confident or find clarity, just start making things. Tell stories, then do it again and again and again. The best way to find a groove is to start grooving. Misconception number three. Stories must be massive. I can't stand that word, by the way. Massive? I hear it all the time from a very specific type of professional who often follows the Gary Vaynerpump rules. This will be a massive shift. We're massively successful. This person is massively overpromising things. Oops, sorry, that last one is what I think when I encounter people who say massive in their marketing. Business storytelling mostly centers on bigness, famous names, huge brands, lofty numbers, and stories that solely focus on society-shaking repercussions of life-altering innovations. It must be massive, or I guess it's not worthy of sharing, or so the thinking goes. It's here that I'm reminded of a certain Dutch word, but that's the thing about effective storytellers. They can grip us and move us through stories of any size. They don't need massive moments. They can take tiny moments of their day, little observations, and small questions or feelings of tension and help us see just how much it all matters. Suddenly, we're inspired to reflect and act, all because they talked about what? A leaf that they found? Two people they saw interacting on the subway? A moment with friends at the bar. Storytellers understand that speaking and writing with greater impact is not about the action of the story. It's about the story's meaning. That's where the bigness comes from. The action can be small, but the meaning is big. The meaning is what matters. The meaning is what makes your story matter. We're surrounded by small moments with big meaning all the time. And so effective storytellers have an unfair advantage over other communicators. Some might call that advantage massive, but I would never. When you start to face the path labeled stories must be massive, remember to face a different way. Let's label that path stories must be meaningful. When you face the path labeled stories are abstract, 
remember to face a different way. Let's label that path, ship stories sooner. I hope this episode feels practical to you. I hope I've affected your practice. Above all, I hope you'll take a moment to reflect on three questions. Question number one, what if stories are not for special occasions? They're for everywhere we show up. Question two, what if telling great stories doesn't require us to learn about story in any abstract way, but instead to ship stories sooner in ways that just feel right to us? And question three, what if we could create an endless pipeline of powerful stories, not by focusing on anything massive, but by finding big meaning in small moments? Maybe this is how we resonate deeper, serve others better, and grow our businesses in ways that make us proud. Don't market more, matter more. Don't learn story, learn to be a storyteller. Thank you so much for listening. This episode was written and edited by me with production support from the great Alana Nevins. If you like the show, please consider my free newsletter, Playing Favorites, which I send every other week. I'm really focused on ideas like story, craft, creativity, resonance, questioning best practices. I think all that stuff is where meaningful work comes from, the kind of work that no AI could ever replace. So if you want to learn how to create irreplaceable work that others consider their favorite, subscribe for free to Playing Favorites. That's at jayaconzo.com, or you can check your show notes for a link. By the way, I personally read and respond to every reply I get from my email subscribers. jayaconzo.com, or check your show notes for a link. I'm back soon with a brand new episode of the show. Until then, keep making what matters. See ya.